listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. Welcome into another edition of the New York Football Podcast. It's a little bit different now. Tim McMaster here along with Dan Duggan. We're obviously covering free agency, but there's a lot more going on in the world than just football, and we're certainly not going to ignore that either, Dan, and nobody's going to be able to ignore that because we're probably going to hear maybe a crying child in the background of this, right? Because Dan Duggan's home is now also Duggan Daycare. <laughs> yeah, so we try to time this up with uh, nap time, but... Uh... She sounds like she's still in the process of uh, of staying down, so we'll see if we can uh, make it through this. But in all seriousness, um, you know, with the coronavirus, obviously everybody's lives have changed, and no different for us here at The Athletic, but we are going to continue podcasting. One good thing about this company, the way we're set up is Dan always does this podcast from home. I do it sometimes from my home, sometimes from our New York office, but that office is currently... Um, off limits. So we, we do it from home sometimes and it allows us to continue to do this. Now we'll talk about football. We'll talk about other stuff, but we're going to keep bringing you the podcast when, um, when it applies. It is the off season, but we'll get you ready for the draft. We're going to recap free agency here. We're going to talk about everything that's been going on with the Giants this week because it's been busy so far as far as the Giants go. But beyond, um, obviously, there being a lot more going on in your home, Dan, um, everything else okay for you as far as everything is going? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like everyone else, just adjusting to kind of the new normal. I mean, uh, I was joking about this. A lot of people are adjusting to work from home. Working from home is kind of commonplace for me in the off season. The adjustment for me is having my wife work from home and my daughter not be at daycare. So that that's the uh, the adjustment we're going through. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, as you said, there's there's much more serious things to worry about than having a uh, slightly hectic, more hectic day. Um, and yeah, you know, just kind of trying to keep business as usual in the NFL world at, while at the same time understanding that it's really uh, not that meaningful in the grand scheme with, you know, how much is going on in the world. Yeah, me and my wife live in New York, obviously, and uh, we have a one bedroom, as most couples do in New York, uh, with space being at a premium as it is. So we do have a desk um, that she generally works from home from, but now like we're sharing the desk. So today it's almost like we need a Google spreadsheet for like, all right, I have a podcast. Uh, we're recording this at one thirty, So podcast at one thirty, you got to be out of there at one twenty-five, and then we'll get in there. We'll switch it back and forth. And it's, it's certainly interesting, but uh we're making it man. We're we're managing it, and making it happen, and uh, and we'll continue to do that. All right. So, so it's interesting for all of us. Um, and as far as the NFL goes, it's been interesting because all of the other sports have kind of pushed pause on seasons. Major League Baseball is not starting, but the NFL was in this tricky spot where it's not the season, it's not practicing, but it's free agency right after all this stuff is going on across the country and across the world. Um, and there was a little bit of debate, should the NFL have gone on like this? And in the end, I think it ended up being comp more complicated to hold off on the process of free agency than to go ahead with it. Um, it was weird on Monday, the, the, the San Francisco 49ers making a trade, and at the same time, the Bay Area announcing it's going into shelter-in-place situation. Um, but that said, I feel like now that it's happened, Dan, it has given people something to pay attention to other than all the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine what the NFL network ratings were this week. Because again, if you weren't going to watch the news, it was it was an escape. And and that's the feedback I got from a ton of people on Twitter. Because like I tweeted some trivial Giants nugget on you know Sunday or something, and and so I was like, how can you worry about that at a time like this? And it's like, well, listen, I mean, I'm you know an employee and I get paid to report on the New York Giants, so 
if the New York Giants are still going to conduct business, I have to too. That's just, you know, part of the deal. Um, and I, my response to that from tons of my followers on Twitter was like, no, we need this. We want this. So, uh, you know, personally. That guy ended up deleting the tweet, I yeah, think. Yeah, and I, I, I really, I, I'm, I'm picky about when I do the quote to you. I think some people do it too often. Right. I'm not trying to blow up somebody with, you know, a really small profile and have my whole timeline cave on their head. But that one, I just, I want to get that <laughs> message. I wasn't even really picking on him. I just figured it was going to be something I would get, you know, sporadically throughout the week. So I wanted to. To head that off, but no, I mean, I personally, I'm, you know, I'm kind of ambivalent towards it. I mean, listen, I fully understand the notion that it's weird to be talking about, you know, multi-million-dollar contracts when you know the world is is in crisis. At the same time, like, when was the right time to push it back? Because people are like delay it two weeks. Well, I mean, two weeks it might be even worse. So I mean, and again, I don't. I mean, they easily could have put it on hold. That's the one thing I, I don't buy. That like, well, they have to do it now. I mean, there's no urgency based on the calendar. And again, the calendar is going to change drastically because even once they agree to these deals the offseason program is getting pushed back let's be honest that's not going to happen i'd be very surprised if we see nfl players on a practice field at their team's facility before training camp and and again that's you know far down the line who knows what happens when we get there but there's no way you know otas are going to be taking place in a couple of weeks when you 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 can't even gather with groups of 10 or 50 or whatever you know whatever the latest uh, update is Uh, obviously there's a ton of people involved in, in a football practice so um, so again, they didn't have to do free agency this week. I mean, obviously a lot of this stuff is done remotely with, you know, phone calls and, and on computers. So, um, they were able to do it. Now, the one thing that'll be interesting, they won't be, the physicals is going to be kind of a little bit of a holdup. So a lot of these signs will just kind of be, uh, agreements will just kind of be hanging in the air. And, you know, I guarantee there'll be a physical or two that gets failed, you know, whenever that happens and, and a signing we all expected to take place, you know, won't. So that's going to you know add a little bit of a complication, but um, logistically speaking, they were able to you know basically pull it off business as usual. And like I said, the bigger changes are going to be what happens going forward um, because you know it certainly won't be business as usual as the off season kind of gets to the next stage. And you know the draft uh, you know I think will take place at a smaller scale, but in terms of actually getting on the football field, I think we all understand that that is going to be significantly delayed. All right, so. Let's get into the the moves the Giants have made um, as well. Um, we'll talk about the misses. We'll talk about the guys they've gotten, and we'll talk about Leonard Williams a little bit too and the fact that he got the franchise. But let's start with the free agency because the Giants, uh, they got busy quickly on Monday, Dan. Uh, we knew they had a lot of money to spend, and they went out and, and they did it. Let's go through these guys a little bit, the ones that really make sense, the ones that maybe make a little less sense. Um, the biggest name, James Bradbury, the cornerback, that's a spot the Giants desperately needed to fill and you made the point in your story especially with Patrick Graham coming in to run this defense and the type of defense that he runs so they get James Bradbury three years 45 million it's a short deal too which is kind of nice he'll be a free agent again at 29 years old but this one at least now and obviously these times sometimes don't work out but this one looks like a great signing at least at first yeah I mean they they definitely needed cornerback help I'm kind of kicking myself because when the offseason started you know, I figured they would go after corners. I had Bradbury's, you know, sort of in my crosshairs. And then talking to people at the combine, I sort of got mixed signals and, and backed off of that. And then obviously, you know, they, they certainly went, you know, all in a corner because, you know, Byron Jones got the big deal in Miami. The, the Giants had some interest there, but they got, you know, the number two corner, uh, you know, paid big bucks for him. And, and, you know, I think he checks a lot of the boxes, you know, of what they're looking for. Uh, you can certainly see a theme 
in some of the you know the bigger all of the bigger signings that they've made this offseason it's guys who are younger coming off their first contract they don't want guys you know 28 29 30 they want guys like Bradbury who's 26 years old uh, clean injury history, no character concerns. I mean, none of the guys they've signed, you know, have a Pro Bowl appearance or are considered star players. But you know, those guys rarely reach the market. So, uh, Bradbury's, you know, firmly in that next level. Um, Gettleman knows him very well. Obviously, he drafted him in Carolina in 2016, so he was around him for you know that year and a little bit, obviously, of the next offseason before he got fired. Um, so certainly, no red flags, you know, came up there. Nothing's come up, you know, throughout his career. And I think the thing that uh, stands out with me with Bradbury is, you know, I put out when they signed him that he's the number one corner. And yeah, I think some people on Twitter pushed back. I mean, is he Stefan Gilmore? No, but I mean, he has been Carolina's number one corner, you know, from basically from day one for the last four years. And then you're in the NFC South. That means twice a year, you're getting Michael Thomas, twice a year, you're getting Julio Jones, twice a year, you're getting Mike Evans. So now certainly they got the better of him at times, but I mean, he was, you know, thrown into the, the deep end there. And I think he held up pretty well. Like, I mean, I, you know, again, no one's shutting those guys down consistently, but he, he certainly was competitive. Um, so I think he's a, a solid player. I think the contract is, you know, very reasonable. You know, we could probably get into maybe big picture what they're doing with their contracts, but, um, you know, shorter deal, the, the big cap hits are up front. So they're giving themselves a ton of flexibility. I think it's a good, I think it's a good deal for Bradbury too, though, because, now he gets to hit the market again in three years at, when he's still be 29. So in line for another payday and you know, the cap should be significantly higher by then we all expect. So um, kind of a good short-term deal probably for both sides. Um, but you know, it's, it's a need they desperately had. I mean, you look at this cornerback cores corpse as they're bringing back uh, very hard to have a ton of faith in Deandre Baker and Sam Beal and Corey Ballantine. And I know people uh, feel like they've invested a lot, in the draft at that position but really i mean you know baker's a first round pick the other guys are, are mid-round or later you're kind of throwing darts at the board there and nothing about those guys would give you any confidence that you know we we have our, our you know our starters here you needed to get a top line guy in here and and bradbury was you know again byron jones was the top prize but bradbury is one of the best guys available so you definitely uh, i think it's a positive thing to be able to, to bring him in and, and not you know go crazy uh, as far as breaking the bank to do so and you made the point that Gettleman generally historically hasn't signed or hasn't spent big money on cornerbacks. So is this a sign that Joe Judge really is is um, kind of in charge here as far as personnel and making sure he gets the right guys that he got Gettleman to go out and kind of spend more than he's maybe been comfortable with in the past? I don't know if I'd say Judge is in charge, but I, I definitely think it suggests that, you know, he has a pretty strong influence. Uh, you know, with some of that with Gettleman, it could be circumstantial that – you know, he inherited Janoris Jenkins here. Josh Norman was there in Carolina. So they kind of already had a number one corner making big money. But, of course, when he let Norman walk, he replaced him through the draft. He didn't go and spend, you know, big money. And he hasn't spent big money on safeties either. So I definitely think philosophically in his, you know, past, he has not been inclined to, you know, I got to get a top of the line, you know, defensive back. And to run the defense that the Giants are going to run, it's, it's, you know, right out of that Bill Belichick tree. And, you know, I think so much was made last year of all the cover zero the Patriots did and, you know, how aggressive they were at their man-to-man schemes. I mean, the Dolphins were doing the same thing. <laughs> Obviously did not get quite as much of a claim because it did not go so well. Um, but that's the scheme that you're going to see here. That's what Patrick Ram- Graham ran when he was in Miami. That's what Matt Patricia runs in Detroit. I mean, that is sort of the principles that that Belichick defense is built on. You can't play that defense with, you know, subpar corners. I mean, look at Miami. They paid for Byron Jones. 
They have Xavier Howard. I mean, they have the two highest paid corners in the league. So that shows you the level of investment that you know Belichick guys believe you need at that position. So clearly, I'm sure Judge was you know saying to Gettleman, like, listen, it's we need to get a top flight corner or else we're going to be in big trouble. Because, I mean, cornerback was a huge weakness for this team last year. Um, I think the fact that they're going to play a lot of man, maybe that helps DeAndre Baker too. Because I felt like he was you know, two different guys. When they played man, he was competitive. He was, you know, up and down a little bit. When they played zone, he looked completely lost. So I think it's probably, you know, uh, a happy accident. They certainly didn't bring Patrick Graham in here to uh, accentuate DeAndre Baker's talents, but it does line up well. Uh, and, and Bradbury's a guy who, you know, is not a burner or anything like that, but he has good length and he can play man or zone. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I think he is obviously a fit for this scheme. And again, it's something that they needed because if you're going to run this defense, you need to have, uh, you know, at least, competent cornerbacks and I think there's still room to grow because I'm, I'm still not sold on down Baker but it would have been really tough to run what they want to run uh, without getting a guy like Bradbury so Bradbury makes a lot of sense and fits into what they want to do and, and you go okay check that box off a little bit Blake Martinez I think a little bit different three years 30 million for the linebacker um, and then that's a guy though that on paper, you look at what he does and what the Giants need and maybe it's a little bit less of a fit what do you think the Giants philosophy or, or mindset is on this where they get a, basically a run stopping middle linebacker they needed an inside linebacker so he fits in that standpoint but is is he the right guy the martinez signing is the one i'm definitely a lot more skeptical on i've kind of you know they made the two big additions you know bradbury three years 45 million martinez three years 30 million that was kind of the the going rate on the market the agents must have you know liked the symmetry there of three and 30 a lot of guys signed for that um i i, I just it seemed like they really zeroed in on him because, you know, I, I heard from a source that they didn't really even show any interest in Corey Littleton, who I think a lot of people considered the number one inside linebacker on the market. And he signed with the Raiders for three years, $36 million, so not a significantly you know higher contract. And uh, Joe Schobert was probably the second best guy in a lot of people's eyes, and he signed a, a five-year deal, I think it was around $53 million. So it sounds like a bigger deal because obviously the extra two years, but, you know, the average salary – um, you know, very similar to what Martinez got. So, I mean, they, they were all in that grouping, but the Giants clearly, you know, sort of zeroed in, like I said, on Martinez. I think a big part of that, as, as far as we go back to, you know, something you mentioned earlier of Joe Judge's influence, clearly they they like to let their coordinators have a, a you know, a pretty heavy influence in who they target in free agency. We saw it with James Betcher, you know, bringing all the Cardinals he could to, to New Jersey, and, and that certainly didn't work out very well outside of Marcus Golden. We're seeing it again now with, with Patrick Graham, he was the linebackers coach in, in Green Bay in 2018, and now you know their two big defensive signings, you know, were linebackers on the Packers at that time. So um, again, another guy where they have a great feel for his character and all that behind the scenes stuff because it's a guy that they've been around, and, and that's we know with Gettleman that's very important. You get the sense it's going to be very important with Judge. They need guys who are going to you know buy in and and you know be just you know football 24/7 and. Uh, Blake Martinez is definitely that. I mean, he is a guy who is going to crush it on the intangibles meter. I mean, just super durable, like never comes off the field, plays every game, uh, great leader, Stanford guy, very smart. Just, you know, you hear nothing but good things about him. But on the field, I, I don't know. Uh, he kind of feels like a rich man's David Mayo, who they, you know, they just brought him back. Really good against the run, pretty questionable against the pass. Like, I don't know that. That was, I mean, inside linebacker was a need, especially when they moved off from Ogletree. I just don't know if this type of player, uh, you know, was a need, especially, you know, 
when you're making you know the financial investment there as opposed to a guy with maybe more coverage ability like a Littleton or a Schobert. Um, so that's where I'm not as you know bullish on this signing. Um, you know, I think that he'll be a, a solid player. I mean, people are going to talk about his tackle totals. I mean, he has averaged like 140, 150 tackles a year. I mean, it's crazy. But that really, to me, doesn't tell the whole story. You know, Bob McGinn, we're lucky enough to have him in our athletic network, and he's covered the Packers for a million years and basically breaks stuff down like a scout. I mean, he's really uh, got a you know, fine eye for, uh, you know, evaluations. And his evaluation of Martinez uh, after this most recent season, I linked to it in, in, in my story about Martinez, uh, was certainly not glowing. Um, de- definitely uh, kind of discounted a lot of the tackles as, you know, being downfield and not being like impact tackles. Um, so I don't know. I, I think he's a good player, like, you know, but I, I don't think he's a guy who is going to, you know, vault this defense to, to new heights. I think he's a guy who could become a whipping boy if, the defense doesn't improve. We're paying, you know, thirty million dollars to this guy. Um, I think you'll definitely probably catch some of that because I, I don't think he's going to be a, a huge difference maker. I think he's a good player. Um, you know, I just don't know if with some of the other options that are out there, if they would have been better, you know, pursuing those guys. And if, you know, of course, free agency is always a two-way street. They have to want to come to, you know, you know, play for the Giants, play in New York, play for Joe Judge, all that. Um, but so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they clearly had Martinez, you know at or near the top of their board I, I don't know that I feel the same way as I've kind of started to you know look into him more seems like he's a little bit limited and, and sort of fits that old school Dave Gettleman stop the run is like the most important thing and, and you know certainly I think it's pretty well documented that uh, I and many others you know don't necessarily think that's the way things are anymore so uh, I guess we'll see how that plays out but certainly a guy they're you know very comfortable with and you know it was coveted by them. So you talk about guys that um, Graham had an impact on in Green Bay, Martinez obviously playing underneath him in 2018. And then today they signed Kyle Facknell, uh, edge rusher, big guy. And he had 10 and a half sacks for the Packers back in 2018 under Graham. Um, so you said it, the influence is there from the coordinators. Um, Facknell, though, it seems like when you look at the numbers, maybe that was a one-hit wonder in 2018, but he must think he can pull that out of him again in New York. Yeah, and I don't think Fackrell's, uh, you know, kind of breakout year in 2018 was necessarily due to probably some great coaching from Metro Graham. I think it was really strictly opportunity. Uh, I think their starter was Morgan Burnett or, or someone like I can't remember exactly. I think he got injured, so he ended up starting the last seven games of the season and got like, you know, six sacks in those games and, and had like a three-sack game earlier in the season. So he just played a lot, and it translated into a lot of sacks. And then they went out and signed uh, Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith last offseason. So that, you know, just naturally you know, his role shrunk significantly. Uh, he only had one sack in 2019, but if you kind of look at some of more of the advanced metrics, his pressure rate and, and that type of thing was still high. So uh, I don't know that he, you know, he didn't become a better player in 2018 and a worse one in 2019. I think a, you know, a big part of that discrepancy uh, was just opportunity. Uh, but certainly, I mean, you have a guy who had 10 and a half sacks for your, you know, your now defensive coordinator. Feels very similar to the Marcus Golden, James Betcher kind of, you know, reunion that turned out pretty well for the Giants uh, a year ago. So they're, they're certainly banking on that. I mean, for Fackrell, you know, he's a he's a 28-year-old, so um, not fitting that young mold. And they got him on a one-year deal. So, I mean, they, the one thing I think they are definitely doing 
is mitigating risk. They're not making long-term commitments that's going to tie up their cap in future years. Like I touched on earlier, where I think that's a very concerted effort. You know, they're going to have big money having to be shelled out for Saquon Barkley extensions and Daniel Jones extensions. And they have the fourth pick this year. So that guy's going to be coming up in a couple of years if he's a good player. So I think they're trying to just keep their ducks in a row. Um, they're going to have flexibility down the road when they, you know, are more poised to contend. I think the way they've kind of attacked this offseason tells you they probably are realistic that they're not a Super Bowl contender in 2020. But it's funny because this is the sort of approach, you know, I've been, you know, harping on from this is what it should have been in 2018. And it seems like they kind of, Gettleman's kindly figured it out. And, you know, Pat Shermer had to be a casualty in that because uh, with Joe Judge, you know, from day one, John Mara has preached that they're going to have to be patient, you know, first time head coach. They, they're going to let, you know, give him some room to grow. I think there was some fear that Gettleman might just spend hog wild to, you know, kind of save his, his own rear end here because he's on the hot seat. But I think they've been pretty prudent. Again, I think a, a sign like Fackrell, it's really no risk. I mean, if he's not very good, it's, you know, four and a half million dollars and you're back on the market next year. And, and one thing to keep in mind as far as that, the edge rusher market didn't really develop as much as people had expected or hoped because most teams just tagged their, you know, premier edge rushers. All those guys should be on the market next year. Now, granted, some of them will, you know, presumably agree on extensions between now and then. But, you know, I guarantee a few of them won't. And so then they become available next year because, you know, teams aren't really inclined to use the tag two years in a row. So, you know, it just I, I like the way they've left themselves flexibility. They didn't just say we're going to we need to like plug holes. We need to throw money at the problems like it's, it's sort of a measured approach. And I think it's one that was warranted based on sort of the state of this roster. So listen, you bring in Fackrell, if he has 10 sacks like Marcus Golden, you know, all right, hey, maybe he leaves next year and, you know, you, didn't, you get a comp pick or, you know, whatever. Like it's, they didn't lock themselves in. And I think that that's a good way to go about it. And so I think that uh, overall their approach has been better than past years. Now, will the individual players pan out? I mean, that's the great unknown. Obviously nobody knows that at this point, but I think just philosophically, you know, assigning like Fackrell fits where they should be at. Uh, even Martinez, I don't love the player, but the contract isn't going to, you know, hamstring them down the road. And again, Bradbury, I think good player, solid contract. So I think at least the the financial approach has been sound. And then we'll have to dis- we'll have to see if Gettleman's uh, batting average, as John Merrick calls it, uh, goes up on the individual players, because ultimately that is what matters. And uh, that's been you know pretty hit or miss for him in, in free agency with a lot more misses than hits. Yeah, I got to raise that batting average. All right, one more signing to worth a mention: Levine Toilolo, the tight end, twenty-nine. He's a big guy, six foot eight, two sixty-eight. Um, now, Red Ellison obviously retired, so they bring him in. Um, kind of fits that blocking tight end role. Two years, six point two million, though seems seems a little pricey for the player. Um, is that just kind of the? I guess that's the market that was developing. Well, first off, this is why they pay you the big bucks as the host, because you get to say those types of names, and I can just refer to him as, like, he from the rest of this response, <laughs> because that's a tongue twister. Uh, no, I don't know. I mean, listen, you can't kill them for these types of moves because it's, you know, it's still small potatoes. I, it kind of feels like the Jonathan Stewart signing or the Antoine Bethea signing. Like, every offseason, they sort of bid against themselves for a minimum level player and just, you know, pay them a little more than they need to. I mean, uh the, this tight end, again, a, a Toilolo, I guess we're going to go with. He uh, he signed a minimum contract with the 49ers last year. Had two catches, played like 20% of the snaps. I can't imagine the market was really bubbling for him. And especially, they they came to agreement with him really early in free agency. I mean, usually this is the signing that happens you know later this week, even next week, as, as sort of the dust settles on the big-name guys. So 
uh, you know, clearly they must have identified him. Maybe they were talking to his agent about another client and his name just came up. You never, you know, you can't read too, too much into the timing, but just uh, for the most part, early in free agency is reserved for big names. Um, I, you know, I think, again, I think they overpaid, but it's, it's not overpaid. It's going to really matter. It's essentially a one-year deal. They can get out of it. Like you said, he takes Red Ellison's uh, position who, would have he Red Ellison would have you know cost a lot more on the cap this year. So I mean technically you could even look at it as some savings. But yeah, he's a huge guy. People instantly are gonna look at the six eight and say, Oh man, red zone target. You know, he has like eight touchdowns in seven seasons. That's not gonna be who he is all of a sudden in uh, at this point in his career. But that size is gonna help is you know, sort of that six offensive lineman type uh, type build where uh, for a team that's gonna you know, presumably really try to feature Saquon Barkley more than they even have in the past two years. Uh, should make an impact there. I don't think this signals like the end for Evan Ingram. I mean, the Ingram, the end might be coming for Evan Ingram, you know, down the road regardless, but I don't think this signing really says anything about that. I mean, they needed to fortify that depth. You know, they lost Ellis and they don't have a ton at that position. So they were going to make, you know, a veteran addition like this. So, um, you know, I think, again, slight overpay, you know, whatever, not a big deal. If he helps them on the field as far as his blocking, uh, you know, it'll be worth every penny. So those are the guys the Giants have brought in. When you think about misses, um, there's there's no big obvious one. I mean, Corey Littleton, you mentioned going to the Raiders for not that much more than Martinez. Maybe that would have been a, a way the Giants could go, but they chose the direction they did. Is there a guy that stands out that really could have been perfect for the Giants that they weren't able to get? I think it's more uh, if you want to, you know, hone in on something. I mean, we don't even know what's going to happen with Jadavion Clowney yet. He was the top edge rusher on the market, and he was a guy I was very wary of. So I'm not going to, uh, you know, crush them for not going after him aggressively. I think it's more the fact that they just kind of sat out offensive line, you know, at least at this point. It wasn't a great offensive line class, um, but I think their approach there tells you they're more apt to try and fill uh, some of their big holes there in the draft. <clears throat> I mean, I think with a fourth pick, certainly could be addressed right there situation where maybe they trade back a few spots and then, you know, get one of these tackles or just take them right at number four. Um, but, you know, they weren't in on Jack Conklin. They haven't been in on some of the centers who are starting to come off the board now. And, and I think, you know, tackle in the center were certainly uh, the two spots that needed to be addressed this off season. Um, so, you know, as of right now, you know, the, you know, could change by the time we uh, publish this podcast, haven't made any moves there. And again, the, the market is really thinning out. So I think at this point you're looking at guys who are going to be, you know, uh, mid-level free agents or less that are really going to compete for jobs. The Mike Remmers type signings, not, you know, a, a big time signing. Um, I don't necessarily have a huge problem with that approach because, uh, you know, I, I think they need to get young players on that line that are going to be long-term solutions, like get a tackle who's going to protect Daniel Jones for the next 10 to 12 years, you know, potentially rather than just try to keep passing it together with veterans. Um, you know, I mean, Conklin definitely, uh, I think, you know, would have been worth kicking the tires on, but, um, you know, he went to Cleveland. So I think that's probably, if you want to talk about like a miss, it's just that they didn't really seem to go after, um, the offensive line. But again, I, I don't think I'm, I'm not necessarily criticizing for that, but that that's the area that was weak coming into free agency and it hasn't gotten any stronger. Um, so it kind of remains to be seen, you know, how they, how they patch that up. But again, I think it'll be, uh, the combination of an early draft pick and, you know, some, some mid-level veteran guys who can provide depth and, you know, compete for a starting job. Yeah, kind of an incomplete as far as that goes. All right, the other big news for the Giants this week was Leonard Williams, who gets the franchise tag. Um, that means a lot of things. One, nobody else can sign him, which you knew they would do something to make sure nobody else signed him after giving up what they did to bring him over. Um, there's still a chance they could work out a long-term deal. Um, that's a possibility. If not, they're going to have to 
pay him this money. And then this could also get interesting. We've talked about it a little bit on the show, Dan, the, the position battle of what position is he? Defensive tackle versus defensive end. Um, as expected, they went the defensive tackle route with the franchise tag. Um, do you think, I mean, if they end up signing him to a long-term deal, that's not going to matter. But do you think there's some bad blood that could brew here if not? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's a business. I think that, you know, both sides would obviously understandably, uh, you know, Williams wants the most money. The Giants want to spend the least. It's uh, it's sort of a cut and dry thing. It's, you know, however an arbitrator is going to, you know, I guess watch every snap. I don't know exactly how it's calculated, but if it comes to that, where if he files a grievance, um, it's just based on how, what position they classify you played more snaps at in the previous season. Uh, see, Williams, it's, it's much more convoluted than other instances. Like Jimmy Graham went through this way back with the, I think it was with the Saints, where he wanted to get classified as a wide receiver. The Saints wanted to classify him as a tight end, but uh, and he ended up getting classified as a tight end. But, you know, tight end wide receivers, you know, a pretty drastic difference. D-end, D-tackle, especially in a 3-4, it's cloudy there because, I mean, you know, technically he plays outside of the nose tackle on the defensive line, but a lot of times there's another outside linebacker down on the line. So, again, that that's for someone far smarter than me to figure out. But I don't think um, that'll be a, a huge issue. I mean, it's it's – it's just against kind of like paperwork. I mean, granted, it's not my million or two dollars that would you know be in the balance, but no, I don't. I don't think that'll be a big deal. Um, I think the real surprising thing to me is that they went with the franchise tag. I think they could have gotten away with using the transition tag, and that would have been around, I think around thirteen million, so three million dollars less. Which listen, you know, it's not it's not nothing, but also with the transition tag, he'd be able to negotiate with other teams. He can do that with the franchise tag. Franchise tag. Any team that wants to sign him would have to a you know agree to some you know big contract and then also if the giants don't match it they have to give up two first round picks so let's just take that off the board i mean we people are killing dave gettleman for giving up a three and a five nobody is giving up two ones for leonard williams for the right to pay leonard williams huge money but with the transition tag he would have been free to field offers from other teams and all that would happen then is to say some team offers him five years 50 million the giants either match that or they don't, and if they don't, they get no compensation. So you would see teams, you know, potentially kick around and show interest. I mean, they, but they would also have to keep in mind the Giants are inclined to match. I would think that that would be, you know, sort of an advantage with the transition tag for the Giants. It's not, he's not totally free. So if I'm a team with cap space to burn, the Giants can hold that up for a few days, you know, drag their feet and then match. And now, you, you know, players have gone off the board. So I, I think that would have sort of effectively kept him off the market but it maybe would have allowed them to get a feel and if, if teams weren't showing big interest uh, either a you keep him at the transition tag and it's three million dollars less or if you you know you start to negotiate a long-term contract in the meantime if he's not getting big offers banging down his door he might be more inclined to you know take a little less I, I just think with the franchise tag if i'm leonard williams i am sprinting to sign that tender and play under it i know that's usually <laughs> yeah. not the that's usually not the case most guys obviously want to lock up the long term uh, the big money. He's made some good money already in his career. Was you know six pick overall. Made good money on that contract. Fifth year option last year. Made around eleven million dollars. So if you're gonna tell me I'm getting sixteen million guaranteed for one year, I have no health issues. Twenty five years old. I mean obviously anyone can get injured, but it's not like he's a guy who has you know major red flags who would just be dying to you know cash in that guaranteed money. If I'm him, I play out this year at the sixteen million guaranteed. I hit the market in a year when I'm twenty six. The cap is supposed to go up. And presumably you have a better season because he's coming off, you know, a pretty underwhelming uh, contract year. So you have a chance to rebound and his market, you know, might go through the roof. And I know that there's obviously risk involved with that. But to me, if I'm him, it, that's the easy decision. 
Now, I think obviously for both sides, a long-term agreement is certainly an option. But if I'm willing to just, I'm not super inclined to give a ton because listen, you're setting the bar that I'm going to get $16 million guaranteed for this year. Why, why am I going to be super forgiving as far as a long-term deal? Because, hey, I play great this year. Let's talk again next year. You know what I mean? So yeah. he wants to be here. I know that, you know, Gettleman puts a lot of stock in that. Well, he, you know, if he plays well, then he's probably going to, you know, make the Giants pay and, and he'll, he'll remain here. Um, so I, I know there's figures out there that the Giants are, you know, want a you know, long-term deal in the 10 to $12 million range. I mean, that's great. Probably explains why there wasn't any progress on negotiations, though, because if, <laughs> if he's going to get a $16 million tag, why on earth would he take a, a deal worth $10 million a year? Um, so, again, it just goes back to this whole thing was really just uh, such a head-scratching move, and, and, and I feel like, you know, Gettleman just kind of backed himself into a corner. And now I think using the franchise tag even even more so, because if you gave him the transition, transition tag at $13 million, no team show interest. Now you're starting negotiations with 13 million at the baseline instead of 16 million. So I, I just feel like it has, as much as I said, I've liked a lot of their approach to the off season as far as free agency. I haven't liked really anything they've done on the Leonard Williams front from, you know, the day they made that trade. And, and now I guess we'll see. I mean, I think there's definitely a chance they come to a long-term agreement because despite everything I said, I mean, if Leonard Williams can get $30 million guaranteed up front in a three-year deal, that is better than, you know, 16 for one, presumably. Um, but it's just I, I don't know that they're definitely going to work out a long-term agreement. I, I think both sides will work towards it. But again, if I'm Leonard Williams, I'm not really uh, deterred by the fact that oh my fallback plan is is one year, 16 million, and, and so I, that's where I feel again the Giants are sort of boxed in a little bit, and I don't think they helped themselves by using the franchise tag. It just makes this story go on a little longer uh, into next year, maybe. So a couple of the guys the Giants are bringing back. David Mayo signs an extension before free agency. Eli Penny back as well, two years, $2.2 million. Um, the other big news of the week is the new CBA that was approved by the players, although barely um, 500 players didn't vote out of the about 2,500. And it was about a 60-vote difference, um, yay over nay. Um, and it seemed like it came down to, I think, the uh, – the more average player in the locker room as opposed to the big money earners who were vocally against this, but it ends up passing. So 17 game season as soon as 2021, Dan, uh, an extra team in the playoffs in 2020. If we get to the season in 2020, hopefully we do, but, um, Really on the player's side, 20% raises across the board for minimum salaries. That's really good. The salary cap went up a little bit. Um, has it had much of an impact in your mind on the Giants at this point? They already had a lot of money to work with heading into free agency. No, I don't think it had a, a big impact on you know this offseason. Um, you know, one of the big things was teams couldn't use two tags, which would have been the case if they didn't agree on a new CBA. So that would have really you know maybe changed things for the Cowboys and the, the Titans, but. Uh, the Cowboys obviously worked things out where they used the tag on, on Dak Prescott and were able to come to a long-term agreement with, uh, with Cooper and the Titans, um, you know, were able to tag Derrick Henry and, and, you know, negotiate the deal with Tannehill. So I don't think it had a, a huge impact on this offseason. I'm, I am a little surprised that the vote was so close. I think what it tells you is, uh, you know, some of those big name high paid veterans, you know, definitely were able to influence some of the guys far lower on the totem pole. Cause just, you know, doing like the basic math, like, like 60% of the league is in that like minimum salary range. So if they, you would think every single one of them would just vote yes, because it's going to give you, like I right. said, a hundred thousand dollar raise on your minimum salary. Who's going to turn down a hundred thousand dollar raise. Um, but it, apparently they were swayed by the fact that the, you know, the big name guys, the Richard Sherman's, the Aaron Rodgers, JJ Watt felt like they should be more concessions from the owners, uh, you know, for a 17th game. I will say, 
And it was funny because, you know, the process started, you know, before coronavirus was even really a, a topic in the U.S., or at least certainly not a daily one. And by the time the vote was due, it was, you know, taking over the world. And I, I think if it had not passed, it would have been a huge blunder for the players. Because you can pick apart, uh, you know, this deal and did they get everything they possibly could have, you know, from just a uh, if it was if everything was normal in the world. But the sort of post-coronavirus world, I think they, the, no way the deal would have been as good because the owners are certainly in line to lose some money here, especially if this thing bleeds into the season. Uh, I think, you know, obviously the economy, and not to get like too far out of my, uh, my lane here, is going to take a, you know, a significant hit from this. So I just think that they, the best thing they could do is lock this in because if nothing else, they got themselves some short-term raises and, and so now let the owners figure out the TV deals. But um, had they, you know, put down a hard line I, I just can't see any way the offer would have gotten better with you know just sort of the way the world has you know really spiraled here uh in the past week or so so I think it's f- even the guys who didn't like every single you know piece or didn't think they got enough from the owners uh, I think it's for the best that they were able to uh to come to this agreement and, and kind of let business you know go on as usual and, and help these you know lower paid players in the short term because who the heck knows what the, what the long term holds yeah, the guys who voted no a month from now may be kind of excited that the the other guys won out and, and got this thing approved here before wherever, wherever we're heading right now. Well, as far as the podcast goes, I think we're heading to the end here. I think we did a good job summing things up as far as the Giants go. Um, we are going to continue when news warrants it, come back on the podcast. Um, Dan, I guess the, the next big thing is obviously – uh, the draft, the the meetings in between now and the draft where sometimes uh, you get owners and, and head coaches availability, those have been pretty much wiped out. So how are you going about your day-to-day right now with, with a lot of the stuff that you can sometimes lean on just not happening? Yeah, it's a great question, one I really have to figure out. I mean, I've <laughs> sort of been fortunate in the sense that you know, if you're a baseball writer, basketball writer, hockey writer, like you're in the season and now you have to come up with like a totally different plan already being in the off season, you know, access is pretty limited. Free agency certainly has, you know, uh, provided some avenues to, we're just covering what's right in front of us. And then there'll be some, some kind of rehash and, and recaps of stuff going forward for a little bit. But yeah, definitely the well will run dry there at some point with we'll the draft, but uh, it's going to be uh, a, a call to get pretty creative. So if anyone has any ideas, feel free to uh, shoot me an email or send me a DM. Cause um, yeah, I mean, if this, if this, uh, you know, kind of ban on public activities is going to, you know, stay in fact for a long time. Like I said, it's really going to uh, limit the opportunities I have just to do interviews in person. Won't be at the Giants facility, won't be in the locker room. So um, certainly going to need to get creative, but in, in a way, uh, selfishly, the way free agency worked out, it at least gave me some content this week without having to, to deep uh, reach too deep uh, into my mind to come up with some outside the box ideas. Yeah, and as a company at The Athletic here, the, the wheels are definitely turning. There's actually a Slack channel called Let's Get Weird where people <laughs> are just kind of throwing out crazy ideas and, and blitzes and stuff to uh, to kind of help the content going because we're going to keep turning out that content. Um, if you want to save on a subscription to The Athletic, you can go to theathletic.com slash the New York Football Podcast, save 40% off. Dan mentioned reaching out to him on DM. 
It's at dduggan21 on Twitter. You can find him. I'm Tim M. McMaster. Um, as far as this week goes, we've done a lot of mini pods based on news breaking in the free agent market. You can find those on the team podcast, but also if you go to the NFL Power Rankings podcast, you can find all of those as well. Little five to 10 minute shorts on all the big free agency and trades that have gone on this week. It's been fun putting this podcast together again. We'll keep doing it. Marissa Morris doing all the hard work for us behind the scenes. Uh, Dan, stay safe. Yeah, same to you and same to everyone out there. And we'll talk to everybody again soon. 